Welcome to Dog Talk and Kitties 2. I am Tracy Hotchner, your dog's best friend and your kitty cat's best friend. Wishing a happy weekend to listeners on Peconic Public Broadcasting in the Hamptons, on Robin Hood Radio in Connecticut and the Berkshires, and to podcast listeners everywhere. Please listen to all my new live call-in pet radio shows on the Radio Pet Lady Network, co-hosted by top pet experts at RadioPetLady.com. Dog Talk is a production of Eight Paws LLC, which is solely responsible for its content, and is brought to you with the generous support of Platinum Performance Supplements, Waruva Pet Foods, Precious Cat Litter, Nordic Naturals Omega-3 Fish Oils, and the Animal Specialty Center, which is just north of New York City in Westchester County, and is a comprehensive veterinary facility offering board-certified specialists in oncology, cardiology, dermatology, neurology, surgery, internal medicine, and dentistry. The Animal Specialty Center helps people and their own vet diagnose and treat medical conditions with access to innovative diagnostic tools and state-of-the-art equipment that gives families the option of using the latest ways to diagnose and treat their pet's medical challenges. What an amazing day I have lined up for you. The summer is just a cornucopia of books, but perhaps the most delicious yet. This is one you are not going to take to the beach. We do not want sand on the pages of this divine book, E.B. White on Dogs, edited by his granddaughter, Martha White. It is just a delight, an absolute delight. It's like a macedonia di frutta for summer fruits and just joy. And then I have Nikki Mustaki, St. Nikki, and her pet postcard project, who's done amazing things for rescue animals. And then Dr. Vint Verga with his book, The Soul of All Living Creatures, What Animals Can Teach Us About Being Human. But I must get right to Martha, who has actually had to take a boat ride to come to this interview. Martha, welcome to Dog Talking Kitties 2, and thank you not just for having written this amazing book, but then having to get on a boat with your golden retriever to come talk to us. <laughs> well, you're very welcome. The dog actually stayed on the island. <laughs> he did. Okay, you just I came home I, without him. <laughs> but he's, but as, as you told me, he's a golden retriever who has to have a puppy cut in the summer because he gets well splashed when you have to come ashore because yes, you live on an island. Already. <laughs> well, what, a, what an amazing life. Those people that, that have houses in Maine or live in Maine that are listening, it's like, oh, sure, we lots of us live on islands and take zippy little aluminum boats to shore with our dogs. I think it's very exotic. Some people think it's great to have a private plane. I think it's much cooler to have a private island and a lighthouse and a darling boat that gets you to shore. Martha, I mean, you know, such a dumb question. How incredible it, what it must have been like to have probably the most beloved children's book author that's ever, ever, ever been, your grandpa E.B. White, who wrote Stuart Little and Charlotte's Web, to be not just your grandfather, but you were very much a part of his life, and that is sort of unusual in the modern day. You were very close. There's great photos of you with your grandpa in the book. Did you ever imagine that you, too, would become a writer, which you became, or, or the executor of all of his great works? Well, certainly not early on. I mean, early on, I just thought he was a terrific grandfather, and it, it, I think I was probably in high school before I realized really how well-known he was as a writer, uh, because he was just our grandfather. He, he lived down yes. the road, and we went over and visited the barn. And, uh, you know, it was actually my grandmother who, who usually read to us because she was reviewing children's books. But 
but he was a terrific writer and a terrific grandfather both. Uh, he loved children in general and certainly animals, uh, all of them, uh, although he was allergic to cats, I have to say that. Uh, but he did keep barn cats uh, occasionally. Uh, but but what fun to become the executor of his estate. Wow. I mean, really, it is a pleasure to, to go through his works and, and keep them on the shelves for readers. And I think it's hard for, for most of us to wrap our heads around. I was really having a mental stretch. First, I see E.B. White, and I don't know. I, I just had like a mental lapse, and I thought, oh, yes, the great New Yorker editor and writer. And then a couple of beats later, I'm like, wait a minute, my only favorite book. I mean, I talk about Wilbur and Charlotte so much in real life to this day. I mean, Charlotte's Web. I mean, it's just iconic. It's such a stupidly over overused word. It's just part of our, at least America, I'm sure it's translated right, into hundreds right. of languages. Right, right. I think it's on most fourth-grade uh, teachers' shelves. Uh, wow. Many, many fourth-grade teachers claim that they can recite it by heart because they've read it every <laughs> year to their students. So, and that's I love it. It's still still happening so that's been and then great. and then followed by Stuart Little which is a whole nother flight of fancy in a different way but I think really forms us all so much as American children and then adults this 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 genuine compassion or, or empathy that he had for animals from every perspective I mean I once saved a spider because of Charlotte's Web and wound up with two visits to the emergency room because of it. But I really think every every spider is Charlotte and you couldn't right. smush one. They might have be writing things about a wonderful pig. Right, but I right. didn't realize how much he'd written about dogs, Martha. I mean this is a this is not a book where you had to scratch and, and, and you know hope to find a line or two about dogs. I mean he was very, very, very involved in funny and telling and very insightful essays and comments and all of them in the New Yorker. Many of them were in the New Yorker, right? Right, right. That's absolutely right. And the, the interesting thing is he he didn't put the dogs into his children's books for the most part. That's and I think, right. I think there's a dog that skips through Trumpet of the Swan, uh, but it's a minor character if it's there. Uh, and and I, they're they're really not in uh, the other two more well known children's books. Uh, but he did write about dogs very often, uh, as you know. He, he uh, wrote an obituary of one of the Scotty dogs that was in the. Oh New my Yorker. God! He that's wrote, a, that's, wrote, that's, that's the one you. All about the dogs. You're going to have to read that one when, when we, after we've chatted a bit more because it is absolutely divine. I didn't really know, and I bet you there's other people who didn't know, the lengths to which he wrote about dogs in 1932, my friends. Forget the like the current trendy trend, let's all write a book and put a dog on the cover right, and have right. it be about a dog and well, everybody what, will want it. One of the things the New Yorker really did write with my grandfather was they didn't require him to stay at his desk from nine to five. They allowed him to go out and about in the city and, and write about things of his choice, and so he went to the dog shows and the obedience contests and, uh, you know, the, the Olympics when they were in Lake Placid and watched the sled dog races and all sorts of things. So he, he got to write about his dogs and other people's dogs quite quite often, and, and many of the pieces that are in this book were ones that were very short notes and comment pieces in The New Yorker that had never been collected into his other uh, essays and, and oh. books. Uh, so, so unless you've been a New Yorker reader from the early 1930s, uh, there are many pieces here that you won't have seen before. Uh, I so see. That was so, fun. so even even an E.B. White aficionado will be 
surprised and delighted. They will find things that they they have probably not seen for a very very long time at at the least. And if and they're if they're old they enough, if yeah, if they're not too old to remember, because if they were reading yeah. in 1932, <laughs> right. let me think. How's their memory right now if they're still alive? It could be a little a little fuzzy. The other thing that I was just riveted by, and the book is one of those books that really is going to be by my bedside for a long long time, because it is genuinely a book that any place you pick it up. There's a letter to somebody, an essay in the New Yorker, these small bits and pieces that are just each one delicious and just perfect to go to bed having a smile on your face. But what, I, but it, what it also is teaching me, which I think will be so interesting to people, is how different the dog culture was in the 30s. I mean, dogs, there were, there's funny pieces that are funny because they're so clever and well-written, but about dogs and a muzzle law. There was a law that dogs had to have muzzles. I mean, most right, of us don't right. know well, that. Right, right. the Scotty that we're going to read about was, was arrested because she didn't have a muzzle. That's right. <laughs> and that's court. right. And that's, a, and that's another one of the very funny pieces in here. And also... Um, he writes about having her in restaurants. He wrote some wonderful letters to his wife, Catherine, about, you know, being in a hotel and whether or not he could get her into the restaurant or not. But there was one in which um, he, he wrote about uh, whether she was tied up or not tied up. I don't remember exactly. And he, he commented, well, that just at the time we stood at this corner after the patrolman had done whatever he'd done with a ticket book, there were seven loose dogs that peed on that column and I thought wow there were loose dogs roaming New York City yeah yeah no that was when he went to court for not having the muzzle on on the dog and and as he's sitting there he he was watching all the stray dogs go by (laughs) well I mean how interesting that New York City was full of stray dogs I mean we wouldn't know that right We, we we modern folks don't even know about that it's yeah. just well there, there are many things that I found uh, that were very timely both both things that were similar to today and and things that were very different and the and the muzzle law was certainly one that was different uh but but for instance he talks about uh trouble with ticks a lot of ticks uh, yes. that he's having to pull off the dogs and yes. I thought well that's interesting because I very. Sort of felt like ticks are fairly Recent, uh, uh, you know, that's in, right. as a, a big problem for dogs, but not at all. I mean, certainly it wasn't Lyme disease, uh, but it was it was trouble with ticks, and and uh, many of the things. I mean, the, bringing a dog into a restaurant is a similar one, or or there's a a piece about uh, going to Abercrombie and Fitch and all yes. all the wonderful things you can buy for your dog, you know, from <laughs> a collar to all the medicines and so forth, and and he's. He's warning, I think, one of the secretaries about how much it's going to cost to keep this dog in the style to which she wants to be. That's right. It's so adorable. Timely, uh, because certainly, you know, there are doggy boutiques today, and people spend a lot of money in them uh, for their pets. That's right. That's right. But anyone who remembers that Abercrombie store on 57th Street, which is surely the one he went into, it was a wonderful, you know, nowadays Abercrombie A and F has become this kind of hip and groovy, like college-age clothes emblem. But right. it was never that. In your grandpa's day and even in right. our day, it was really these accoutrements, the sort of the accoutrements of a fine life. Right. And, and certainly having a dog that could go into the Abercrombies with you. And he took her everywhere. Would you Would you read her obituary? It was printed March 12, 1932, in the New Yorker, and it's just a, an absolute treat. Okay, so this is the obituary of Daisy, who was a Scotty dog, and it, it, it's called Obituary. Daisy, black watch debatable, died December 22, 1931, when she was hit by a yellow cab in University Place. 
At the moment of her death, she was smelling the front of a florist shop. It was a wet day, and the cab skidded up over the curb, just the sort of excitement that would have amused her had she been at a safe distance. She is survived by her mother, Jeannie, a brother, Abner, her father, whom she never knew, and two sisters, whom she never liked. She was three years old. Daisy Aww. was born at 65 West 11th Street in a clothes closet at 2 o'clock <laughs> of a December morning in 1928. She came, as did her sisters and brothers, as an unqualified surprise to her mother, who had for several days previously looked with a low-grade suspicion on the box of bedding that had been set out for the delivery, and who had gone into the clothes closet merely because she had felt funny and wanted a dark, awkward place to feel funny in. <laughs> Daisy was the smallest of a litter of seven and the oddest. Her life was full of incident, but not of accomplishment. Persons who knew her only slightly regarded her as an opinionated little bitch and said so, but she had a small circle of friends who saw through her, cost what it did. At Speyer Hospital, where she used to go when she was indisposed, she was known as Whitey because, the man told me, she was black. All of her life, she was subject to moods, and her feelings about horses laid her sanity open to question. Once, she slipped her leash and chased a horse for three blocks through heavy traffic in the carking belief that she was an effective agent against horses. Drivers of teams, seeing her only in the moments of her delirium, invariably leaned far out of their seats and gave tongue, mocking her, and thus made themselves even more ridiculous for the moment than Daisy. She had a stoical nature and spent the latter part of her life as an invalid, owing to an injury to her right hind leg. Like many invalids, she developed a rather objectionable cheerfulness, <laughs> as though to deny that she had cause for rancor. She also developed, without instruction or encouragement, a curious habit of holding people firmly by the ankle without actually biting them, a habit that gave her an immense personal advantage but won her many enemies. As far as I know, she never even broke the thread of a sock, so delicate was her grasp, like a retriever's, but her point of view was questionable and her <laughs> attitude was beyond explaining to the person whose ankle was at stake. For my own amusement, I often tried to diagnose this quirkish temper, and I think I understand it. She suffered from a chronic perplexity, and it relieved her to take hold of something. Oh, I love it. She was arrested once by Patrolman Porco. She enjoyed practically everything in life except motoring, an exigency to which she submitted silently, without joy and without nausea. She never grew up, and she never took pains to discover, conclusively, the things that might have diminished her curiosity and spoiled her taste. She died sniffing life and enjoying it. I just, I, don't, I mean, it just, it leaves me speechless. I mean, I already <laughs> read it, but just to know that, you know, you had sat on your grandfather's knee, and I'm sure he'd read many things to you, and here you are reading this to us, and this man is as more clever, more insightful, more empathic with an animal back in 1932 than all these people now trying so hard to notice their dog <laughs> sniffing and yeah. working really hard at doing a scientific experiment to prove that dogs really do have feelings or moods right. or what have right. you. It's, I mean, the book is just, you. I, I don't know if as his executress, whether, or perhaps now it's politically incorrect to, not use the mail for everything, in which case you're an executor. I personally still think actress is a word. I don't know when that got expunged from the right. world. But I like executress. It sounds sort of like, I don't know, dictator, dictator risk. <laughs> did you find that in going through his material for one thing and another, did, you, did it come to you, my goodness, there's a lot on dogs? Or what was the moment where you thought, 
this is just a, a cornucopia for dog lovers. Yeah, well, I, I was actually working on another book uh, for Cornell University Press, a book of quotations of E.B. White. It's called In the oh. Words of E.B. White. And and that book has, uh, you know, the best of the best of all of his books in quotations, and they're they're listed alphabetically by topic. So as I was working on that, I noticed that the section on dogs was getting very long. And I oh. thought, oh, this is, you know, this is just because I love dogs and it's all about, you know, me right, being uh, right, too particular right. in that direction. And I, so I started putting them in a folder thinking, well, I'll just go back and pick the best of the best later, you know, and not have that right. section be so right. long. Well, by the time the folder was <laughs> two folders and three folders, I, I started to think, you know, there's a book here and, and really this might be the perfect segue for people who are, dying for something more, you know, after the children's books and, and maybe yes. people who haven't read the, the books of essays or One Man's Meat or, or some of the other collections, uh, or, you know, even some of the essays that are starting to go out of print because the, the books aren't on the shelves anymore. So, or how about, so how, about, how about the fact that your grandfather, which, okay, everyone but me in America, do you all know that Strunk and White, The Elements of Style, which must be on every single sixth grader's reading list and every college student's reading list, that's the same grandfather of Martha, Mr. E.B. White. So I just want to throw that in before I forget. Right. It's like, what <laughs> didn't he do well and, and, and with lasting value? Right. So I, I, I just suddenly, that came to me. I just wanted to make sure I didn't leave that out. I mean, everybody else is like, oh, of course it was him. I don't think everybody knows that. I don't think everybody knows the depth of his wit. I mean, this is wit on the level of, you know, S.J. Perelman or, or Evelyn Waugh. I mean, it's really, really witty. And if all you know, as I did, was the children's books, which have a heart that's as, you know, as deep as whatever, I think this is an incredible revelation to us. And right, if it weren't right. for the dog aspect, I wouldn't have come to it. I don't read books of letters. And usually, I mean, I bought John Updike's essays when they came out, whatever it was called, from the shore. And I have to tell you, the book is unopened. You know, oh, it's just yeah. Like, some of us aren't really essay readers, but if you tell us there's a dog in it and it's really witty and clever, we're there. And, <laughs> well, and, there's definitely a dog in this book. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And lots of fabulous photos, Martha, of you. Yes, photos and, of all of his dogs. Oh, yeah. Dozen, uh, family dogs. And, and the, the photos are family photos, so they're, they're not professionally uh, taken. And, and some of them not great, great contrast. But uh, the, the dogs is, are all represented from the very yeah. first to the very last. Well, I, I love him um, with with his dachshund Minnie on his desk and the cat. Yes, that's Minnie. a classic photo that that many people have seen. And of course, he wrote about Fred more than any other dog. Another dachshund uh, who was a contemporary of Minnie's. Uh, it's not Fred on the cover, but it is Minnie. Uh, but Fred shows up quite quite a lot, and, and in various opinions uh, in these in this book, he's he's interviewed about sending a dog into space and that sort of thing. He he uh, he is in the book in the essay about Khrushchev and and what Khrushchev and my grandfather have in common. Yes. Uh, so there's there's some classic essays in here that a lot of people will have read before and will recognize Bedfellows and uh, 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 Death of a Pig and so forth. But there's also a lot of new material and some fun fun comments on uh, dog training manuals and and going to the dog shows back when they yes. were in Madison Square Garden and and the or even content. or even even paying the IRS to do with 
yes, SPCA yes. and where his dog is licensed. Yes. I mean, it's hilarious. It's the many of these these issues that he came up against with the dogs were like the foolishness of government or the foolishness of rules, and <laughs> yes. and yet he was never bitter. He just seems to have been just such a happy human. Just well, so as you know, in part of what you wrote in the beginning, just happy to be alive, just enjoying every minute and all the people in it. And was it your mother or father that was his child? My father. Yeah, yeah, Joel and, White. And, and did he? And does he continue to live or no? I've got my dates no, no. Wrong. He died in 1997, uh, but he's in the book. There's a picture of yes. him uh, with raffles. Training yes. apples to pull a berry basket uh, when, when oh Joel was yes about when 10. he was a boy yeah. oh my god yeah. that's the most amazing photo was a berry <laughs> basket I meant to ask you this was yes. this common in Maine where there's blueberries or something that there were little tiny carts put on little tiny dogs to pull your berries well on? I'm sure I'm sure my grandfather and my father went to the woodshed and built the little cart that was going to oh, get pulled by that god. particular dog the dog the dog was called Raffles because he was one at a raffle. And and he became my father's first dog, I think, and and uh, so he he doted on him and and spent lots of time training him and and had fun with the cart and so forth. There, so, there are so numerous this love pictures of it, like that. Th- this love of dogs is clearly multi generational, no doubt but about that. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, in our in our generation, it's mostly golden retrievers because my mother started to to raise goldens when, when oh, we all went did. off to school. Yeah, so oh. suddenly there were lots of puppies at home, just as we were leaving the house. I think I think it was her replacement for us, frankly. <laughs> and not a bad one. I mean, if you're going to have a child it's replacement, a one. Yeah. yeah, goldens yeah. are cheerful yeah. and obedient and not the things that every child is. I mean, somehow right, better. Right. We all go home for Thanksgiving now, and there'll be seven goldens around the table. <laughs> oh, is that true? Yes. Oh, my God. Have you had good luck? With no cancer, just on an aside, since it's always a thing on my uh, mind. We've had reasonably good luck. We we have. I lost my previous one to cancer when he was 12, uh, so it has happened. But we've we've had terrific goldens, and and uh, they've been for the most part healthy. Thank God, because yeah. that is a problem. I imagine that maybe your family's line of goldens, which is where it all started up in Maine, may not have been caught up in in the. Uh, in the the bad genes that came from all the fancy show dogs. Yeah, well, I hope so. I hope so. Keep keep the keep the healthy ones healthy. Right. Do do you did you find you must have discovered many things or rediscovered many things about your grandfather in putting this together? It it must seem like like a kind of a sacred task, without sounding too heavy about it, to to be. The, the keeper of this flame, Martha, it's an amazing flame. It's, it's just, there's so much that's redundant in this world and so much that is, you know, just a copy of something else. And, and the originality of your grandfather and of this writing and of his vision of the world and these writing about these various dogs is simply hilarious. I mean, it just, every single piece that one reads puts a smile on your face. It, it must feel like you've been handed something very, very special to, to protect, who will who will protect it after you? <laughs> well, one of my offspring, I hope. Uh, will they? Is, okay, oh, good. Yeah, yeah, good. Yeah. No, it is a privilege and, and uh, really so much fun to go back through. And uh, this book was really a joy to put together because it's a, a, obviously a, a subject that's close to my heart as well. 
but the and the I and I love that you have it. a publisher that's a, that's a main publisher. I mean, yes, that's so and she also is a dog lover and has dogs in the office. Yes, at Tilbury yes, House and a parrot, dogs. right? And you, a parrot. You wrote about yeah. the parrot. Yes, <laughs> yes. The, parrot, the parrot made his way into the introduction along with Fred. They they both uh, are there uh, for readers to enjoy. So so uh, they're it's, they're. It's, Plenty of animals represented, and, and definitely all breeds. Uh, I mean, one thing I, I did learn about my grandfather was how many different kinds of dogs he had, and and uh, you know, not all pedigree dogs. I think one or two uh, purported to have pedigrees, although I think he was dubious of some of those, uh, including Fred's. Uh, but <laughs> but he often rescued dogs. They weren't called rescue dogs in his That's day, right. but but he would go into a New York City pet store and and buy the sickliest animal in the window and take it home and, and rescue it. Or he would uh, adopt a, a, a pup from a from a adoption agency that, that needed a home uh, just because he felt like uh, having a new dog. And and so he he definitely uh, well it was they loved were them different, all and saved them all. Yeah, <laughs> they were they were different times. Pet, there were no puppy mills in those days, so a pet store really had somebody's actual litter of puppies. There was no such thing as a puppy mill, thank God. Yeah, and I guess there were streets full of strays in New York City. Yeah, well, how amazing! Different. I mean, yeah. now all the dogs yeah. in New York City are wearing an Hermes collar, as far as I can tell, yeah. or Coach <laughs> booties or something. Right. Right. I think a main a main dog like your lovely gold. And who, who rides the waves with you from your wonderful private island and lighthouse. What, what an incredible family and what a great legacy. Martha, you've, you've done us all such a, such a favor with E.B. White on dogs, and I just, I'm going to cherish my own copy for a long, long time. I wish you a wonderful rest of the summer. Many thanks for the boat ride in on behalf of all of us who love dogs and can't wait to find out more about how E.B. White loved them. Thank you, Martha. Well, and thank you. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Bye. We'll be right back in just a minute after this word. Support for Dog Talk comes from Waruva, a family-owned company that makes their foods in a human food facility because they believe pets deserve to eat as well as their people do. All the flavors of Waruva, Cats in the Kitchen, and their more economical BFF, Best Feline Friend brands, are made to appeal to finicky little dogs and choosy cats, especially those you're trying to transition away from dry foods. And the show is also supported by Platinum Performance Canine Wellness Formula, a comprehensive nutritional supplement for dogs that provides a special blend of more than 55 nutrients to improve a dog's overall health at a cellular level. And there are Platinum Performance supplements for people, cats, and horses, too. I am back with St. Nikki. We're going to find out why she's called St. Nikki. Nikki Mustaki has the Pet Postcard Project and a lot of other very cool things she does for animals. Nikki, welcome to Dog Talk and Kitties, too. Great to have you here. Great. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Why are you called St. Nikki? That's so great. You're young and beautiful. <laughs> You're, you don't look like some wrinkly old saint. I mean, how did you get that moniker? You know, I, my friends started calling me that because I do so much dog rescue, hands-on dog rescue, and, and, you know, I think I'd be preaching to the choir here if I said, you know, I do things like pull over and open the door for a stray dog, <laughs> you know, things like that. It's like, of course, you know, we all kind of do that, but, but, but you know, we understand that in the, in the pet community, but when you tell that to, like, a regular person, they're like, are you insane? Right, <laughs> right, so, right. They think, it's like picking, they think it's like picking up a hitchhacker who's packing a gun. Yeah, exactly. They're like, what? You pick up a stray dog? It's very funny because Stacey <laughs> Foreman, just ironically, who, um, 
who owns Waruva Pet Food with her husband and has three little human toddlers and the cats that Waruva was named after, Webster, Rudy, and Vanessa. And these, she likes to get like a senior dog that is blind in one eye and lame and halt. And she wants to give it a great end of its life. She will drive round and round to find that dog in traffic. She's like you. It's like you can't help yourself. You have no other option. Yeah, right? I it's can't. Just... I mean, I run through traffic. I pick up yes. dogs that have like a million ticks all over them. I mean, everything. And <laughs> I, I have to do it. I have to do it. So, it's wonderful. Thank God. You are preaching to the choir, but most of us are, are can sort of like uh, look down at our at our you know at our disc player at that moment and think, I can't do that right now. I'm late for something. That dog looks like it's really sick, but not you. Aww, you say, I don't care. Yeah. I'll, just, I'll be late for the thing. Well, talk about the pet postcard. I mean, you're very well known in the pet rescue community and in the online pet world, and I've never had the pleasure of meeting you before. But the pet postcard project is one of your very cool ideas. Talk about it a little bit. How does it work? Yes, but it was a really fun thing. I started out, um, I wanted to raise some, some money, actually, for a rescue in South Florida called Sabbath Memorial Dog Rescue, run by a guy named Robbie Coy, who, as you know, with most rescues, is um, long on love and short on funds. I mean, that's basically yes. what our rescues yes. are about, unfortunately. So, so let me see how I can raise money from him. I know that it's very hard to ask people for money. And when you ask people for money, that makes them uncomfortable, you know? Yes, so, but definitely. I said, but, yeah, so I thought to myself, how can I get money but all, but include people but not ask them to put their hand in their wallet? So I thought, let me have them make postcards. And it'll kind of be like a marathon. Like when you run a marathon, you, let's say you run a marathon for charity, you run 26 miles, you might ask your friend, can you give me a dollar for every mile I right. run, right? Right, So what I, what I ask people to do, send in postcards, and I'll ask a company, a corporation, to give us like a dollar per postcard or $10 per postcard. Where What it oh. turns out is that it's even hard to get money from corporations, right? But sure. corporations are more than happy and more than generous to give food or toys or beds or something like that. So right. I found so many wonderful, wonderful, generous companies. Um, in particular, right now, I'm working with um, with uh, FreeKibble.com and Halo Pets. Yes. Uh, oh, and they're wonderful, and they've supported so many campaigns. So basically what I, what I do is I ask people to send in postcards of their pets. So they take a picture, maybe they cut it out. Like kids love to do that. They put stickers and glitter. And for every postcard that comes in, for example, right now, Halo Pets through Free Kibble will give one meal of dog or cat food to a shelter. And what I do is I choose two shelters per campaign, and I kind of pit them against each other in a friendly little competition. Everybody wins because everybody gets food, but the the, the um, rescue who brings in a few more cards will get um, a little bit extra food. So everybody wins. It's really fun, and people really enjoy making these cards. And they don't have to reach in their pocket. They just have to recognize that by doing this, they're part of a good act. Right. For it, costs them 40, it costs them 46 cents for the stamp, you know, and, and they get to do this with their friends and their kids. I, I've had people do this with Girl Scout troops. Um, someone nice. once had uh, actually three times a lady in California who's so sweet. She had parties. She actually threw parties. Where people would come and buy craft, yeah, so so. Great wonderful. idea. So, so, in other words, for people that that are crafty and like to do little projects, it becomes a way to express your 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 craftiness or your artistic um, abilities, and participate in something that's all about the greater good. Exactly. And, you know, I started this also because I love craft, and crafting people are like we're kind of like really OCD about our craft. Yes. 
Yes, and I mean, I, I know love. people I know people your age that have a crafting room, like they have a small apartment oh, yeah. or a small house, oh, yeah. and they don't have a guest bedroom for their mother or mother-in-law. Right. They have a crafting room. Are you that person? That's right. You know what? If I had a big enough place, I would be. I'm telling you, I have the craft <laughs> got out of control. And, like, I love, like, I drool when I see, like, pretty paper, like, cool scissors. Wow. I knew people, like, so sometimes they do come in and you can tell a crafter made it because they're, like, amazing. But sometimes it's literally just a picture of someone's pet and they took a Sharpie pen and they wrote something on it. And that's fine. Nice. It's great, you know. I received over 35,000 cars since 2007. Oh, my God. And really? Ra- yeah, and I raised um, well over 300,000 pounds of food for pets plus tons of toys and a lot of other merchandise and some money. And in the beginning, I was raising money. Wow. So, yeah, it's this great. Is a, a really, and this is just your little invention of a way to get yeah. people involved so that in the end, somebody in that's got that little rescue that's, you know, in their backyard can get some benefit from it or at least feel supported. I mean, as much as they need money, they I think the smaller rescues really need to know that we appreciate them, that we care that they're there, they do, that they're making a difference. So. Very much so. That's that, that very much so. And also people feel good when they send in the postcards. It's just a feel-good project all the way around. And then I get to go to my mailbox and open these envelopes with these <laughs> beautiful pieces of art. Like It's like Christmas every single day. I love it so much. And oh, what's that's really just cool such is, a cool idea. It's so cool. And then over the years, I've managed to get some volunteers. Um, so I have five volunteers, and they they post for me because it's it's gotten to be like it's it's big. It's gotten to be a lot of work. So they do the posting, um, and so it on your Facebook page, is it like the well, pet postcard project? Yeah, it's the petpostcardproject.com. So they post on there, and then I run the I run the uh, Facebook page. Wow. And, and this is, yeah. and you obviously do a few other things with your time. But I mean, this could be—it is clearly a full-time job plus five volunteer helpers, and this is just one of many things you're doing on the. Yeah, of one of like a billion things I'm doing. Wow. Exactly. So, how, if people are kind of curious about this wonderful, crazy woman that will dart across three lanes of traffic to pick up the mangy, tick-covered dog, <laughs> um, I, I think everyone's always looking to kind of get to be the the tail on a kite like you, Nikki. You know, they're like, that all sounds great. I wouldn't know how to start. I wouldn't know how to sustain it, but I'd like to be one of those tails on your kite. Is going to yes. postcardproject.com, <laughs> is, that, is that the best place to find you yes. and see all of your wonderful madness? Sure. They can go to postcardproject.com. There's a link there to my website, and they can see all the billion things that I do and wonder when I sleep, which is what yeah. everybody says. Do you sleep? Like, I sleep, actually. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess what, one answer to that is I sleep, you couldn't say this yourself, but I can say you sleep a lot more soundly than people who haven't done anything much for anybody else recently, right? I mean, yeah, you right, sleep exactly. the sleep of a baby because you're just constantly doing, giving, doing, giving. Well, I, our time is up, but what I, I want people, obviously, go to the petpostcardproject.com. I'm about as crafty as, I don't know, it, it, never mind. If Martha Stewart had, like, some stepsister that was dropped off by the side of the road, that's me. I can almost cut something with a pair of scissors. But for everybody else, and I could obviously just make something so crude that, you, you know, it'd be like, yeah, let's, do not, it. post. let's, not, let's not post that one. That's too, that's too crummy. But I, I want to have you come back and talk about other things you're doing because I think the more we all get involved with people like you that are really the thought leaders in goodness. Um, and, you know, I don't think we have to write to the Vatican about St. Nicky. We can just make you our own St. Nicky. It doesn't have to be Aww. official, okay? <laughs> so we'll just keep you as the St. Nicky of, of Dog Talk and Kitties, too. And any time you're doing anything, you know, I've 
I've got lots of people that, that listen on podcasts, not just in, in real time, in real life, and I'm sure loads of them are parts of the country where no one's doing the cool, fun things you are. So we all want to join you in what you're doing and, and support it. Thank you so much, Nikki. That's PetPostcardProject.com. Come back again for sure, okay? I will. Thank you so much. Take care. Have a great day. Bye. I'm going to be right back with Dr. Vint Verga and his beautiful book, The Soul of All Living Creatures, What Animals Can Teach Us About Being Human, in just one minute. Support for Dog Talk comes from Precious Cat Litter, owned by Dr. Elsie, a feline-only veterinarian whose litters are designed to appeal to kitties and protect their health. Cat Attract Litter has a blend of herbs which entice cats into the litter box and overcome out-of-litter box problems. Respiratory Relief Litter is low dust for pussycats with asthma, which makes it healthy for people and other pets in the family, too. Support for this show also comes from Nordic Naturals, whose Omega Pet products provide your dog or cat with the same premium quality omega-3 nutrition as their fish oils for people, because research shows that even the best diets are deficient in the essential fatty acids found in their oils. Nordic Naturals uses sustainably sourced wild fish from healthy stocks, with third-party testing to guarantee purity and freshness, surpassing the strict international standards for omega-3 fish oil quality. I am back and happy to welcome Dr. Vint Verga on the show. Vint, you have led and are leading such an amazing life. I'm sure you feel that way yourself, right? Absolutely, I do. That's, that's I feel what like comes I have across the best job in the world. <laughs> yes, and, and, and you communicate it so beautifully in this book, The Soul of All Living Creatures. You're just one of those people that I'm, I'm imagining, you know how people say that dopey thing, old soul? But I happen to think that. This is not your sensibility about animals and about our our time on Earth and what it is to be human compared to other species, and that it's really not all that different. And your awareness and your writing about it of of what really matters and just slowing down is that who you've always been, or did you develop into that in some mature years, or were you always that person? I uh, probably a combination of both, Tracy. Although I I will tell you that I. Uh... I've been told that since I was a kid. Um, that yeah, I, that I, I really got that. I really got that from your book. You're, you're not someone who kind of the light bulb went off in, in middle age or some or, or after a crisis. You know, you always hear about people, oh, my dog died, and then and then they kind of see the light about various things. You 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 seem this very, I don't know quite what the word is, kind of like a spiritual teacher in a good way, and even in in reading the book and thinking, well, a lot of these are ideas that that I and the people that listen to the show and that sort of follow my lead about how, how deeply passionate dogs are and feeling. And, the, yes, of course, they have a soul. But when you write about it, you, you make it clear that so many people don't feel that way and that you've come to this realization, not just in your work as a veterinarian and an emergency care veterinarian, but you've worked with zoos, and that is something that's very new to all the rest of us. We don't, we don't really know what what that is like for those animals or for their caretakers. And you make it feel not so upsetting or depressing. I guess there have been times for you that being a zoo a zoo veterinarian has been upsetting and depressing, I'm sure, in some circumstances for you, right? Oh, certainly, certainly. And I used to avoid zoos um, uh, avidly um, until, oh, I'd say about the past 15 years. Um, and and it's really because there's been such a dramatic evolution in zoos in the past 20 to 30 years. And you make us realize that they really are genuinely fulfilling that that deed of keeping some species alive that otherwise would not be alive, right? 
Oh, certainly, certainly. I mean, just today I saw uh, or recently saw an image, was it the New York Times? I don't know where. Uh, Just quite horrifying, but it came through my email somehow, of a display of bear paws, just the paws cut off, that were for sale through the Chinese because of yet another just infuriating oriental belief in various organs of precious and wonderful animals that have to be sacrificed so that the humans can eat that part. And and I think really you, you do raise an awareness that what's going on in a zoo with the improved relationships of, of the animals to each other and to their keepers and their setting is actually saving some species we would otherwise never see. Yes, that's absolutely true. In fact, most of the animals that I'm working with regularly are um, in da- belong to endangered species. And I have no doubt that, that quite a few of them would not be around if it weren't for the um, uh, com- concerted efforts of zoos. So we're, zoos don't even work nowadays in isolation. They work in concert with that's each other right. in order to, that's right. to best preserve each species. And it's, So that part of the book, the soul of those living creatures that are really captive in a, in a pretty extreme way. I mean, it's really extreme to keep a leopard or a, a lion in just yeah. a little space. So we right. feel bad about that. I mean, we, we can't not feel bad about the giraffe that, that can't walk around and, and eat off of trees just as tall as she is, if not taller. But I think that this book really just shows your compassion for them and also makes us feel that a lot of zookeepers, at least the ones you either have worked with or have influenced, I'm guessing you've influenced them, are, have a lot of kindness towards those animals. It's not just a job shoveling duty and throwing oranges and bananas in. There, there's a real relationship with those animals. Yes. Um, everywhere I travel, I see keepers that are, that are passionately committed yeah. to animals in their care. Yeah. And, I mean, that's, that's, that's a very touching thing to, to discover through your book because we wouldn't all know that. And it makes us feel not just better for the animals, but a realization that those, those keepers are really guardians in their own way. I mean, much as some people refer to dog and cat owners as guardians. Of course, yeah, the part that's most – sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Uh, and um, that was really a realization for me when I started doing the zoo work about 15 years ago, that I to, – to see that keepers' relationship with the animals and their care is in every way as, as profound and deep mm-hmm. as the, the relationship you and I have with the animals in our homes. And then when you you talk about elephants, and we know how long their memories are and how deeply they feel and their family structures and, and the emotional states that they express, it makes us realize how wonderful it is that they have keepers who recognize that and, and honor that and cherish it. You know, yeah. everyone sort of knows about Topsy, the elephant who was electrocuted however many decades ago as kind of a public spectacle because she supposedly killed somebody. But, of course, she didn't just go kill somebody, some handler. I'm sure it was a bad situation, and that was Topsy's only way out. And so, you know, we've come a long way from the days when a fun spectacle was to see an elephant publicly electrocuted. Oh, I mean, that, that's, that's, some, that's some evolution that we've gone through. Yeah. <laughs> what, 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 you know, amongst <laughs> others. But I think that really what you do in the soul of all living creatures is put some words and some description to experiences that we're having and that we're not necessarily conscious of them. And I think that, for me, the thing about the book that, that I most appreciated was that it raised my consciousness 
about what I should be conscious about, about not just the animals in my life and how they're living their lives and, and what their experience of life is, but also that we all just need to be in the moment and genuinely mindful of what we're doing and how we're doing it. And that's why I asked right up front about the old soul part of it. This is a book that's very much, uh, without making anyone think, oh, that sounds a little too gooey or, or woo-woo or something. It isn't at all. It's, it's intellectual. But there's so much heart to it and so much compassion. I would love if you could read a section um, that's just sort of, it, to me, it, it really captures what you're doing throughout the book in talking about, you know, what, what would life be like if we were a dog? What is that dog's life really like? Can we really put ourselves in his paws and walk a mile in his paws kind of thing? So if, if you would read that for us, I think it would be something that would really, there's no other way for me to really get across to people how, how very, very gossamer this book is. Oh, certainly. I'd be glad to. So um, this section comes from Chapter 2, which is about sensitivity. Uh, and it begins, If for just one day we could smell as a dog does, in what ways would that day differ from others? And how might we be changed afterward? Could we go on with our lives as before, ignoring all that our senses miss? Or would we then dare to look at the world from a fresh perspective? Imagine, for a moment, walking into a large gathering at a friend's house, hotel ballroom, or perhaps a restaurant, and instantly, with just a sniff or two, knowing more about the people around you. Who is nervous? Who's afraid? Who's excited and happy to greet you? Moving beyond a dog's perspective, how would it feel to surge through the waves and leap through the air with the ease of a dolphin? What would it be like to lope through the savanna, grasses billowing in your wake in a coalition of cheetahs moving toward a nearby grazing herd of impala? or to swiftly glide through the cold autumn air as silently as a great horned owl, having spotted through the blackness of night the stripe of a skunk on the forest floor below you. How then is it possible to step into the shoes of an animal? Simply put, as humans, we can't. But we can acknowledge our human condition and our remarkable differences as species. We begin to open to a new perspective by recognizing that we perceive only a fraction of all that surrounds us. Though we never see the atoms that make up our own fingers, we know nonetheless that they exist, and our lives are intrinsically based on them. With electron microscopes, we can even manage to peek at them, to see the matter that we are made of. Likewise, there are sounds beyond our range of hearing, colors and details our eyes simply miss, and aromas we breathe to which we are oblivious. We can turn to animals for fresh new perspectives by envisioning the world as if we stood in their footsteps. In the hurried pace of our daily routines, we all too often neglect to notice what our senses reveal to us. At the end of the day, as we drive down the freeway, in our host haste to make it home, we ignore the ochre hues of sunset fading before us between the clouds. With windows closed to the snarl of traffic and radios tuned to the evening news, we miss a flock of geese above us honking as they pass overhead and the cool smell of the evening breeze blowing past us across the pavement. Even when we make it home, 
while our dogs wag merrily at our heels as if we'd been away for weeks, and our cats jump to snuggle into our laps as we collapse upon the sofa. Our thoughts often often drag us right out of the moment, away from the comfort of being at home, the nuzzle of an adoring pet, the ease of familiar smells and sounds. Distracted by responsibilities and focused on our hopes and dreams, we neglect what is right within our reach. And in so doing, we miss the moment and the rich experiences it offers us. It's beautiful, and you read it just the way I imagined you feel it and wrote it. And and I think that, that this book really offers us, in that kind of like spiritual leader guidance kind of way, like I don't do yoga, I would imagine you must do yoga. A man who wrote this book must be someone who does yoga. <laughs> you're so relaxed, and you're so centered, and you're so all those things that people – should be striving for, but they're too busy trying to get a better spot on the yoga mat and worrying about whether they're going to get a ticket for their car to really be in, even in the yoga moment. <laughs> but I think that I think that it really, we need this reminder. And I think that one of the beauties of sharing our lives with animals, whether they're even, in your case, behind the bars of cages or the glass of cages, as well as the ones who are jumping and snuggling, is to, to be there in that moment, to not be half about it and I think people do this a lot with their children and live in a kind of state of perpetual guilt you know they're not really there and the kids know they're not there everyone's looking at a device picking up a phone glancing at something else you know I just think we we need to be more present and that our animals we should let our animals help us there because I don't know how we get to these places that you're talking about without their assistance and if we just focus on them and what their experience is, the sniffing, the the rolling, the, you know, them looking up at a bird, we're going to miss it. And I think that your book is just one of those books that people need to read to just enrich. It isn't even to enrich their own life in. It's that it, this book really makes us realize how rich our lives are without us going anywhere, doing anything, buying anything. It's rich right here, right now, right where you are, you know, and to just – recognize that and be grateful and appreciative. I think really that that that's what this book tells us. I mean, of course, all living creatures have a soul. We who are in this kind of substrate of humans that share our lives with animals, we know that, but I guess science has often questioned it, and you come from a a world of science. So you have to, to, it must be hard for you to live amongst people who, who view all kinds of animals as just lesser beings. I think that, is that probably hard for you? Oh uh, yes, yes, it is hard. Um, but there, there, uh, it's interesting too because I think that there's more people in the scientific community than we would uh, than we would imagine that actually would agree privately one on one, but that mm-hmm. they would never go out on record and and go out on a limb amongst all their colleagues because they would just be perhaps laughed at. But you start the book with with a wonderful anecdote about this animal who's badly hurt, hit by a car, and probably not going to make it through the night. And, and tell a little bit about that. You were a, a, a vet student, and I think you say that was your, your wake-up moment, and I imagine you wouldn't say it if it weren't true, and it, it may, I think it will resonate for people. Oh, absolutely. Um, so I was four years out of vet school, and at that stage of my career I was doing emergency work at a, at a local emergency clinic. And um, it was in November, uh, if I remember correctly, it was a pretty stormy November night. And at the height of the first wave of patients, when we had a waiting room filled with um, 
a large variety of creatures from possums to dogs to kitty cats. Uh, One dog, a flat-coated retriever, Pongo, was rushed from um, the front of the hospital in his his, uh, family's arms straight back with the technicians to the treatment room, which typically isn't a great sign. Uh, If if they're bypassing the waiting room, that means the dog's probably in critical critical condition. Well, he'd been hit by a pickup um, truck just outside his home, and he was in shock. And um, when I rushed back to the treatment room to start to, to take take care of him. Um, as I started doing my physical exam, I was surprised to find that I couldn't find anything dramatically obvious. There were no broken bones. Um, there was nothing particularly that I could find, but he had, uh, in terms of uh, compromises in, phys- in his physical condition. His x-rays came back normal. His lab work came back normal. Um, his breathing was very labored, and his gums were pale, and he was definitely on the road to not being around much longer. Um, we started him on supportive care and at least got him stable, but uh, I needed to, at that point, um, let time take its course once once um, he, we got him at least somewhat stabilized and tend to some of the other patients in triage that needed care. So um, I would check in on him during the night, but it wasn't until about 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning when I was able to actually um, really give him my full attention without the distraction of any other animals, um, the needs of other technicians, and so forth. And I sat next to Pongo in the run in which he was laying on, um, next to the bed of blankets that he was on. And if anything, he was worse than when I had last seen him. Um, And uh, at 3 o'clock in the morning, quite honestly, I was exhausted and at a loss of what else to do with him. I decided Mm -hmm. just to be, be there by his side while I worked on my medical records and I draped one of my arms around him while I scribbled in my charts. What happened in the next hour was literally a transformation from a dog that was non-responsive, in shock, um, to within an hour, Pongo was was wagging his tail, looking at me, um, looking at my palm. And there was nothing that was done in that hour um, except my just being with him. Mm-hmm. And, and yes, that was... And the touch, and the touch, the physical touch. Yes, just being by his side, not expecting a thing of him, not That's even right. trying to do anything. That's right. And, just being and, there for him. And I guess really as we wrap up, what this made me realize was this is what dogs do for humans, sick humans, sad humans. Just being there with us and touching us does for us what you did for him without realizing it, and then it changed the course of your life in terms of your outlook, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, it's an amazing book, and there's many, many anecdotes and stories in it of, of various animals of many species whose lives you have touched and, and whose have touched you. But I think it's, it's a, wonderful, a wonderful book, Vint, and I'm, I'm sure something that it is the distillation of a lifetime from a very young age of being someone who really sees and feels the world in a very complete and true way. And, and it's, it's a very moving book, very moving, and, and I think – just helps a lot will help a lot of us to connect to that that inner place that we've probably ignored and and our animals get to more often than than we even give them credit for so thank you for writing it and thank you for being here um it's it's a great accomplishment and i'm sure that i'm hoping that more will will come after that because you're i'm sure your stories and your thoughts and your realizations about animals and us will will not stop with this book they will go on and i hope you will share more (laughs) of them with us Thank you so much, Vin. Thank you for inviting me. 
Take care. Have a wonderful rest of the weekend, and the soul of all living creatures will stay with us. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful weekend. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So you see the great thing, folks, about the summer is that the summer and then again, I guess, around Christmas is when publishers publish so many books. So it's just really the most delicious cornucopia of of different offerings. And it's really, to me, very, very wonderful that with publishing being on the shaky ground that it is, that publishers do continue to support the idea that animals really matter to us, we people that might actually go so far as to buy a book and read it. And that's really encouraging. So many writers are very discouraged and publishers are all gloomy and grumpy. But the great thing is that somehow animals as a topic, and dogs and cats very much so, but even just the whole, the whole rest of the species sharing the planet seem to be something that constantly interests us. So I'm glad that we can all follow along and share our passion for animals with all these great thinkers. Have a great rest of a weekend. We'll talk again next week. Kiss your kitties and hug your pooches. Thanks for spending time with me. Bye-bye.